In the book of legends, or the deed of sages, which is a historical count of, of the history of Israel, there is a story. It's not a fable. It's a true account of, of something that happened. And I just want to just bring this story before you this evening. If you take your minds back, if you're able to, to what it would be like in 1st century BC. And there was a devastating drought that threatened to destroy a generation. It's not something that we are familiar with, but in that uh, context, geographical, this was a big deal. And this was the generation before Jesus. You see, the last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they only seemed like a, a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, and he was an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray. His name was Honi. And even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. But during a drought, it's the only thought. And Honi was their only hope. Famous for his ability for rain, it was on this day, the day that Honi would, Honi would earn his nickname. So with a six-foot staff in his hand, Honi began to turn like a maths compass. His circular movement was both rhythmical and methodical. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, and 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, Honey stood inside the circle he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. And with the authority of the prophet of Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. Lord of the universe, I swear before your very great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all who were in earshot of, that, of it that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords. Like water from an artisan well, the words flowed from the depths of his soul. His prayer was resolute, yet humble, confident, yet meek, expectant, yet not unassuming. Then it happened. As his prayer ascended to, to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gasp swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky. But Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said that no raindrop was smaller than the size of an egg. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. Once more he refined his bold request. 
Not for such rain have I prayed, but rain of thy favor, blessing and graciousness. Then like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It would be forever remembered as the day. The day the thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day. But the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved. But some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonoured God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would criticise Jesus for healing a man's withered arm on the Sabbath a generation later. They threatened Honey with excommunication. But because the miracle could not be repudiated, Honey was ultimately honoured for his act of prayerful bravado. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. And the legend of Honey, the circle maker, stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. The earth you see, has circled the sun more than 2,000 times since the day Honey drew his circle in the sand. But let me tell you tonight, God is still looking for circle makers. And the timeless truth revealed within the ancient legend is as true now as it was then. Listen to me and listen to me very carefully. Bold prayers honour God. And God honours bold prayers. Let me say that again. Bold prayers honour God and God honours bold prayer. You see, God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. In fact, he is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea. Ask God to make the sun stand still. Ask God to cause the, 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 the um, head of an, an, an axe to float. And God is moved to omnipotent action. There is nothing more than God loving to keep his promises by answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. Listen to me, this is who God is. And this is what God does. The bigger the circle we draw, the better. Because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human challenges meet the divine power of God. And they intersect as we draw a circle around impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. I want to say something to you tonight, and you need to listen to me very carefully as we introduce this thought to you. God is ready and waiting. So while I have no idea, I have no idea what you and you 
and you, the circumstances you find yourself in tonight. I am confident. I'm confident in the fact that you are only one prayer away, as I am, from a dream fulfilled, a promise kept, or a miracle performed. It's absolutely imperative that we understand from the offset this one truth. It's simple yet life changing. And this is it. God is for you. Most people don't believe that, but you need to believe that God is for you. If you don't believe that, then you'll continue to pray small, timid prayers. And I want to tell you tonight, one of the things that I believe that has happened since the course of this year, I believe it happened before that, I believe it was in God's divine wisdom that we'd get hold of this book, is I actually believe, that you may say, surely not Christian, but I believe it was the case that I was just praying small prayers, safe prayers. Prayers that were boring. God was uninspired by my prayer life. But since the course of this year, we have determined by God's grace, the leadership to pray some very bold and big prayers. Far beyond what is possible. Far beyond our resources. Far beyond our intellect. Far beyond our giftedness. But we know who God is and we know that God is for us. And one way or the other, your small, timid prayers or big, audacious prayers will change the landscape of your life. They really will. And they will take you into two different people. You see, prayers, get this, prayers are prophecies. Prayers are prophecies. What am I saying by that? Well, they are the best indicators of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. That's where the note down. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers become the script of your life. They really do. I want to take you now for a moment to the spring of 1999. Some of these kids who have gone out weren't even a twinkle in mum and dad's eye then. I understand that, but most of us here would understand and know the year 1999. I wonder what you was doing in 1999. Well, in the springtime of 99, we had been two years out of paid staff. We were living in Milton Keynes, Caroline and I. We had Annie, she was born in 97. And Eleanor was due in 99, the September of 1999. And over that two-year period from 97 through to 99, we had come off paid staff at Milton Keynes Christian Centre. And we had determined to tent make. We went tent making. We still continued to serve the church and we con- I continued to serve as an elder. We were, I was just re- reminiscing for a moment on it and we still continued to plant the church that we was involved in. We still continued to be in the main church, you know, three services on a Sunday. We still continued to run the youth on Tuesday and Fridays and all that while we were having one child and raising and another child on the way and I was building a business. Hip hip. Hooray. Amazing. Amazing. So all you guys who say it can't be done, it can be done. And Phil and Sharon will testify to the fact that it can be done. But enough of that. Let me just take you back there. Because in the spring of 1999, the business that we'd begun in the September of 97 was going well. And I remember sitting in the office in Bedford. That was where we had one of the offices. I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, 
Is this what my life is going to consist of? Is this it? Is this what my, I, I, I'm going to be all about? There's got to be more because I really believe that you've called me to, to do more. Now, I thank God for what he did with us. I thank God for the, for the opportunity of being able to have that business. It was a springboard to other things. But I was just in that moment of just reflection. I begin to ask the question, is my, mind, my life made up of making money or changing lives? Is my life going to be all around possessions or is it going to be all about your presence and your church and your kingdom? The same time Eric, who passed away this year, had been talking to me for a number of, number of years really about the possibility of, t- possibility of coming to Ilkeston. And the, many of you know Ilkeston, uh, the church now is different to what it was then. And nothing was coming together. But I was feeling an unsettling. We were feeling unsettling to, to actually begin for God to do something. And unbeknown to me, in that office, I began to draw a circle. I began to draw a circle. I couldn't have, couldn't have described it like that. But there was a circle that was being drawn because I was determined to do something with my life. And there was a sense of vision and dream that God had placed in our hearts. And we wanted to see it fulfilled. So I began to pray these sort of prayers of God. I just want you to just work this thing through. Just show us clearly of what we should be doing. At the same time, the pastor, Julius, mentioned him already. I remember George standing to his feet and saying, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy and chapter 1 and verse 6. And I wonder if you do that, if you've got your Bible tonight. We're going to have it on the screen. And I remember being quickened in my heart as George began to read these scriptures and then subsequently minister from it. It reads in Deuteronomy... If I can find it, because I just had it and now I've just lost it. That's wonderful, isn't it? Deuteronomy in chapter 1 and verse 6. It says there, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country. I'll just need to pause there for a moment because of course Eric had been saying to us about coming to Ilkeston and Derbyshire and what is Ilkeston and in particular Derbyshire renowned for? It's its hills and we were living in flats, Milton Keynes and I took it literally, there was a quickening in our spirits that we knew that God had spoken to us. But get this then Phil, it goes on further which is wonderful. So break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites, I took that as the Ilsonites of where we were living, or the Mansfield Heights now. But then listen to the next part. Go to all the neighbouring peoples. Go to all the neighbouring peoples. In the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, along the coast to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. What I didn't realise was this. There was a circle that was being drawn that wasn't just about the hill country, Ilkeston, but it was the neighbouring peoples. So for us, that was Mansfield. Not just Mansfield. That was Derby. Not just Derby. That was Nottingham. Not just Nottingham, but that was Chesterfield. Not just Chesterfield, but to the ends of the earth. You see, what God begun to do in us all those years ago was that a circle was beginning to be drawn. It was beginning to be drawn in that Bedford, in that Bedford office. I want to say this. 
this thing that began to happen in us, and we obviously came up here and the rest is history, changed the course of history of our lives. And if I can be as bold as to say this, I believe it's changed the course of the church's life. It's coming and being part of it in the same way that Phil and Sherwood would say exactly the same. It's changed the course of their lives. You see, God comes to us and speaks to us. And as we begin to draw a circle, as we begin to hear from God and draw a circle, then God begins to act. I want to take your mind to a a very familiar story in the book of Joshua and chapter 6. This morning we read it all together, but I'm just going to give you the context to it. Joshua chapter 6. And Joshua finds himself, they've crossed over. God says, go and take possession of the land. And they find themselves taking a city that was fortified. It was called Jericho. Jericho was a tight, sewn-up, strong fortress of a city. So the context to it was, for those who really understand and love all the real uh, details, history tells us that the walls of Jericho were six foot wide in width and 50 foot high, and the upper wall encircled the ancient metropolis. They were made of mud brick walls and they were so thick and so tall that the 12 acre city appeared to be impregnable. It seemed like God had promised something impossible and his battle plan seemed nonsensical. Because let me help you understand. The plan of God to go and take this city was this. God said to Joshua, I'm going to give you this city, but this is what you've got to do. And you've got to tell all the people, this is what you've got to do. The entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. And they need to do it quietly. They need to circle this city. Joshua 6 talks about how they needed to go around, march around and circle the city. But on the seventh day, they are to march around the city seven times. And when they are given the go ahead they are to raise an almighty shout and the walls will come down how many of you think that sounds like an harebrained sort of plan every soldier must have been wondering because let's face it here i would have been exactly the same why god i can help you out here Let's get some logs and some trees and cut them down and let's batter the life out of this city. Let's get a battering ram. Let's cut off the water supply so we have to flush them out. Let's get some arrows with some tar, set fire to them, you know like on the Robin Hood movies, and fire them in and flush them out. Let's set fire to the city. Let's do all these kinds of things. Instead, God told the Israelite army... To silently circle the city. And he promised after circling 13 times over 7 days. That the wall would fall. Now listen here. The first time around the soldiers felt a little foolish. But with each circle. Their stride grew longer and stronger. 
With each circle as they went around the city, a holy confidence was building pressure inside their soul. And by the seventh day, their faith was ready to pop. They rose before dawn on the seventh day and started circling at six in the morning. At three miles per hour, each mile and a half march around the city took half an hour. And by nine o'clock, they began their final lap. And in keeping with God's command, they hadn't said a word in six days. So, ladies, this is miraculous. They just silently circled the promise. And then the priests sounded their horns. And a simultaneous shout followed. And 600,000 Israelites raised a holy roar that registered on the Richter scale. Does anybody want to give a roar tonight? Hip hip! Well, that's not really much of a roar, but there we go. There was a roar that followed, and guess what? The Bible says the walls came tumbling down. All because people had drew circles and had done exactly what God had told them to do. You see, God had delivered on a 400 year old promise and he proved once again that his promises don't have an expiry date on them. If you are trusting God for something, don't you be ever doubting your mind that there's an expiry date on that promise. If God has said it, I was encouraging the, the staff, if God has said it, I believe it and that settles it. And God had said it. Joshua and the people believed it and that was settled. And Jericho stands and falls as a simple truth. If you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver on it. I don't know about you, but this miracle is illogical. It makes no sense. It really makes no sense at all. But often that's how God works. And for some of you who wanted to work God out, or you wanted to make God like yourself, God isn't like us. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God will do exactly as God wants to do, and not as you tell him to do. The logical way was, we will take this in our hands and deploy strategic army, military style stuff to get into this city. God says... You circle it, and I'll deliver it. You see, it only reveals the way God performed in this particular miracle. It establishes a pattern for us to follow, does Jericho. It challenges to confidently circle the promises God has given to us. And for me, it begs the one question. And the one question is this. What is your Jericho? What is your Jericho? What is your miracle of all miracles? Tonight it could be a sickness. Tonight it could be a family situation. It could be a business. It could be a son or a daughter. What is your Jericho? What are you trusting God for? What are you believing for? What promises are you praying around? What miracle are you marching around? What dream does your life Revolve around. You see, drawing prayer circles starts with, first of all, identifying your Jericho. You've got to define the promises God wants you to take, 
to stake claim to. The miracles God wants you to believe for and the dreams God wants you to pursue. Then you need to keep circling until God gives you what he wants and what he wills. That's the goal. Now listen, that sounds simple. Oh, nudge your neighbour and said, that sounds simple so far. Simple. Simple so far. Are you still with me? Now listen, everybody say there's a problem. Just nudging that there is a problem. Here's the problem. Most of us, listen to me, this is really important. Most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. We don't know what we want simply because we don't know what we want. We've never circled any of God's promises. We've never written down a list of, I'm going to use the phrase life goals or just promises that God has spoken into our spirits. We've never defined what what we feel God is saying to us. And so instead of drawing circles, we draw blanks. More than a thousand years after this great miracle in Jericho, in Joshua 6 and verse 1 to 16. There's another miracle I want to take you to. It's found in Matthew in chapter 20 and verse 31 and 32. It's just running along there. And what basically happens is there's two blind men and they actually summon Jesus. They shout out to Jesus like they're calling a taxi. As Jesus and his disciples are walking through, these two blind men begin to shout out, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And they begin to shout this out. And the disciples see it as a human interruption. But Jesus sees it as a divine appointment. I felt quickened in my heart this morning, and, and, and I feel quickened again. Sometimes it doesn't come out like the same kind of thing. I do feel very quick. And some of you still are coming to God. And you love God and you've become a Christian. But you still have no confidence. You almost feel like you're a bit of an interruption to God. Because you have no confidence in who you are. I want to tell you. I want to tell you. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are longing for you to talk to them. And with relish, they look to the times when you will come to them and they can meet with you. You are not an interruption to Jesus. Are you hearing me tonight? You're not an interruption to Jesus. Jesus loves to hear you and see you. I just love what Jesus was like. The disciples didn't get it as normally was the case. But Jesus saw it as a divine appointment to meet with two blind men. But the strange thing is, in this town, city of Jericho, Jesus responds. He stops and asks them a very pointed question, which could lead us to think that Jesus is relational and emotional and, you know, intelligence was a little bit lacking. Because he asks this question, bearing in mind these two blind men, their attire would signify that they were blind. There was a particular way that blind people dressed. 
In the same way we identify a blind person with a stick or a dog, they would identify in a certain way. So Jesus would have known who he was dealing with, but he asked them this question. Have you ever thought about it before? He then says to them, okay, what do you want me to do for you? That seems a bit of a stupid question. Jesus is asking, seriously, is that question even necessary, Jesus? Isn't it obvious what they want? They're blind. Yet Jesus forced them to define what they wanted from him. Jesus made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out. But it wasn't because Jesus didn't know what they wanted. He wanted to make sure, get this, that they knew what they wanted. And that is where drawing prayer circles begins. Knowing what to circle. What if Jesus asks you this very same question? What do you want me to do for you? Pause for a moment. Stay with me if you're all just dozing. This is really important. Jesus comes to you now and says, What do you want me to do for you? Would you be able to spell out to God... Would you be able to spell out the promises? Would you be able to articulate clearly the miracles and dreams that God has put in your heart? I'm afraid many of us would be dumbfounded. If I can be as bold as saying this, I've met with all kinds of Christians who haven't got a clue what they're wanting God to do for them. No wonder the Christian life becomes insipid Beige and mediocre. God is wanting to place in every one of our hearts a dream and a vision. One of the things that we have been determined to do from the very offset is give this church a sense of vision and direction. A sense of vision and direction articulated with passion. So clearly articulating where we feel we should be taking this church. But many of us, going back to personalizing that, we have no idea what we want God to do for us. And there's a great irony in this story. I don't know whether you've seen it. That if we can't answer this question, what do you want me to do for you? Then we are as blind spiritually as these men were blind physically. And I come across a, a, an awful lot are very blind, spiritually, well-meaning lovers of Jesus, but have no idea what they want God to do for them. So while God is for us, most of us have no idea what God wants to do for us. And that's why our prayers just aren't boring to us. I want to say this, they are uninspiring to God. If faith is being sure of what we hope for, then being sure of what we hope for, sure is the opposite of faith. Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers, and well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. I want to encourage you not just to read the Bible but to start circling the promises. I don't just want you to make a wish. I want you to write down life goals. I don't just want you to pray. But I want to encourage you to keep a journal of prayer. Here's a challenge, just as I draw this thing to a close and finish with a story that I hope will impact your heart. 
I want to encourage you over these next 21, 28 days, if you don't already do it, when we talk about journaling, it's about getting something like this, if you are really hip and trendy like Chris Mangan and Josh Turner, they've got iPads, okay. You, you might have a pen and paper like Christine, all right. A journal, a journal is just about somewhere where you can write down your thoughts. Something that I've done for years now. Sometimes better than others. I'm in a good season again of just writing down my thoughts. Where I can write down my prayers. Where I can write down my fears. Where I can clearly articulate what I need God and what I feel God is saying to me. And I can put it either to computer or I can put it to paper. But over these next 21, 28 days, I want to encourage you. I want to throw out a challenge to every one of you. Every day to get up. And every day commit to print what you feel God is saying to you. Write out your prayers. Begin to pray and begin to draw some circles in faith for what God is wanting to do. I want to just tell you a story as um, to embed a very important principle. Because in this book, and you can get these books uh, from, from Amazon, I really would welcome you to, to pick one up. And if some of you say, well, I don't really do the internet... Just let me know and we'll get some more ordered and we can, we can let, let you have them. But um, I want to just tell you, um, read a story about not Mother Teresa, but Mother Dabney. And in 1925, Elizabeth J. Dabney and her husband went to work for a mission in the city of Brotherly Love. But there wasn't much love in her neighbourhood, it was a hellhole. Her husband was called to preach, her portfolio was prayer. But she didn't just pray, she prayed through. One afternoon as she was thinking about a bad situation in their North Philly neighbourhood, she asked God if he would give them a spiritual victory if she covenanted with him to pray. He promised that he would and she felt the Lord prompting her to meet him the next morning at the river at 7.30 sharp. And Mother Dabney was so nervous about missing her prayer appointment that she stayed up all night crocheting. The next morning she went down to the river outside the city walls and the Lord said, this is the place. And the presence of God overshadowed her and she drew a circle in the sand. She began to pray, Lord, if you will bless my husband in this place, you sent him to to establish your name. If you will break the bonds and destroy the middle wall of partition, if you will give him a church and congregation, A credit to your people and all Christendom. I will walk with you for three years in prayer, both day and night. If I can pause there, some of us struggle to come to a day of prayer. Never mind committing to three days, three years of prayer. Big challenge. And this is what what she said. I will meet with you every morning at 9am sharp. You will never have to wait for me. I will be there to greet you. I will stay there all day. I will devote all of my time to you. Furthermore, if you will listen to the voice of my supplication and break through in that wicked neighborhood and bless my husband, I will fast 72 hours each week for two years. 
And while I'm going through the fast, I will not go home to sleep in my bed. I will stay in church. And if I get sleepy, I'll rest on newspapers and carpet. As soon as she made that prayer covenant, it was like a cloud burst. God's glory fell from heaven like the raindrops that drenched Honey on the day he drew the circle in the sand. Every morning at nine o'clock, Mother Dabney greeted the Lord with a hearty, good morning, Jesus. She actually wore the skin off her numb knees. But God extended his powerful right arm. She fasted 72 hours each week, but the Holy Spirit was her direct supply. Soon the mission was too small to accommodate the people. Her husband asked her to pray for another meeting place nearby. She prayed and a man who had been in business for 25 years closed up shop. So they could rent the building. Mother Dabney would not be denied. She was a circle maker. And circle makers have a sanctified, stubborn streak. Mother Dabney was more comfortable in the presence of God than the presence of people. As it was with Honey, some even criticised the way she prayed. Well-meaning friends begged her to take a break or take a bite. But she held on to the horns Of the altar. And the more she prayed through. The more God came through. In my closing in this last minute. I want to encourage us to pray. And draw big circles. And not just pray for. But pray through. If I can say this. Praying through is all about consistency. You see they circled Jericho so many times. They were consistent. I want to tell you, some of us are expecting God's miracle and his provision and his grace to come to our lives. But I want to tell you, if we want to live in the miraculous and we want to live in his presence, it only comes through discipline and consistency and not inconsistency. God is looking for consistent praying and praying through. And God is also looking for intensity. It's not about how well you pray pray, the words you use, it's not about how long you spend in prayer. It's about just calling on God, being in his presence with an intensity. There are higher heights and deeper depths in prayer and God wants to take us there. He wants to take you to places you've never been before. There are new dialects, there are new dimensions. But if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't do the same Old thing. And I come across too many people who say they want God to do something great, but they continue to do the same old things. If we are going to see the breath of God on all that God is wanting to do, we better make sure that we do the things that God is wanting us to do and not the same old things. Well, I challenge every one of us to take up the challenge of taking on this 21 day prayer challenge. And for many, it will be begin. A new chapter in our relationships and in your relationship with God. As I close, it's time to start circling. It's time to start circling. I wonder if we just bow our heads.